Well, good morning. Uh, the, the opening line of uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice is a very famous line in literature. Uh, she writes, It's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. So an irony and sarcasm there, but essentially says it's, everyone knows it, that if there's a rich man in 1813, the only thing he needs left is a wife to spend his money. This book was written, you know, 1813, and back then, marriage in 1813 was essential for economic livelihood. In 1813, a single man or a single woman in their 20s was a cultural emergency. Today, in, in 2023, singleness, statistics on singleness is actually on the rise. Marriage is actually on the decline. Now, this does not mean that romance and sexual activity is on the decline. It means actually that it's as strong as ever. It's just in a different way. However, 200 years ago, marriage was universally adopted, and now singleness is on its way to close that gap. And you can look at stats and surveys on marriage and singleness, how things have kind of evolved over the decades. But I want to talk about us, Christians, the church, Chippewa Valley Bible Church, on singleness in marriage. I've grown up in churches um, since I was in the womb. I was in a church I'm not sure if it's because I was taught something specific this or I just kind of caught on to the culture of churches, but I was raised thinking that marriage is the mature thing to do. As if singleness is the minor leagues and marriage is the major leagues. Right? So to change Jane Austen's famous line to fit our churches, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a single Christian man must be in want of a wife. As if part of the goal of the Christian life is to get Christian men and Christian women married to have children, and that's the goal and the fulfillment of why we are here. Now, is marriage a good thing? Absolutely. Does it sanctify you? Absolutely. Does the Bible talk a lot about marriage? Yes, 100%. But marriage is not a more mature relationship status than singleness. And yet at times, churches and Christianity may turn marriage or the goal of marriage into an idol, into something that we bow down to. I went to Bible college, and I remember overhearing a conversation that blew my mind and not in a good way. Uh, normally at college, you might introduce yourself, say, hey, I'm Troy, uh, I'm a junior, my major's in Bible or English or history, or whatever. Well, I, was, I heard a conversation where a female student was talking to another female student, introducing herself. And I, I pray she was joking, but I know she wasn't. She said, my name, you know, I'm Chelsea. I'm a freshman, um, and I'm here to get my MRS degree. I was like, MRS degree? Mrs. As to become a Mrs. Somebody. She's paying money to go to college so she can go from being a Miss Smith to a Mrs. Johnson in four years. Her job at Bible college was to get married, not an education. Now, marriage is a good thing. We have a Sunday school class on marriage right now, right? So it's a good thing. Look at how the Bible talks about marriage. It begins with, with, a, with, a, with a wedding, a marriage ceremony there in, in the beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve, and it ends in Revelation with a, a marriage between Christ and the church. It's crucial to the storyline of the Bible, but a married person is no more mature or sanctified than a single Christian. 
And at times we think if we see a single person in church, a young lady, young man, our job is to get them married. But have we ever considered that singleness in the church is as vital to the life of this church as the married couples are? Have you ever wondered what singleness actually teaches us about Jesus? Have you ever forgotten that when we say we are married or we are single, that before that we are primarily what? We're primarily a Christ follower, and that trumps everything. So this sermon is going to be for all of us. It's about the gospel, so we're going to be edified by this. But also, if you're single, I pray that you realize that there should be no ostracization of you in any church, but actually shows you God's value of singleness. And if you're married, don't check out either. You're going to hear the gospel, which is going to edify you in your life and your marriage, but also you're going to better appreciate the gift of singleness. Hopefully we'll see that CBC, whether you are single or married or widowed or divorced, God has brought us all here together to belong in this body. We're going to look at just four verses today in 1 Corinthians. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7. We'll be in verses 6 to 9. It's on page 955 of those Bibles uh, under those seats or in the pews. Uh, we are in a long-term study of the book of 1 Corinthians. We take it in sections. We're kind of in the middle here of chapters 5 to 7, which is a, chapter, a section we call purity, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, saying we want your church to be as pure and holy as possible. So he's talking about marriage and sex and singleness. He's doing so so they can be as holy and pure as possible. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 9. Once you find that in your Bibles, do you please stand in reverence for the word of the Lord? Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to shine your truth in our hearts today that we may see the face of Jesus in a brighter way. Spirit, help us. Amen. You may be seated. This is just four verses, and in a few, in a few sermons, we're going to see a few more verses on singleness near the end of chapter 7, and we're going to continue to talk about marriage and singleness, but we wanted to have one dedicated sermon here on this topic. So what do these four verses and what do the rest of 1 Corinthians say about singleness? Here's the main point for you if you're taking notes. Singleness like marriage is a gift from God. Singleness like marriage is also a picture of the gospel. Singleness is a gift and singleness is a picture. So let's begin with this first point here of singleness as a gift of God. Well, this text is, is very, very simple to just understand in your mind. And it reveals right there in, in verse 7 that both marriage and singleness are gifts. Paul's not really speaking out of a biblical command here requiring you to be single, but he says, I wish all of you were like me, single. Uh, he says later on in chapter 7 that marriage brings a lot more trouble. 
But he says here in verse 7, <laughs> our, our office is open for counseling later if we need it. But verse 7 here, Paul says, I wish all were like me, single, but each has his own gift. You see the word gift. Those gifts are singleness and marriage. Paul is an apostle. He's a missionary. He has such a unique life. All of us should not imitate everything that Paul has done. He can travel from city to city, get on this ship, go on these missionary journeys. And he's saying that, you know, if he, didn't, if he had a wife, he probably could not do that as well as be faithful to his wife. So he says, I wish all of you were like me, but I also understand that you guys each have your own gifts. Some of you are going to be married. Some of you are going to be single. So I want to pause here for a moment. If you are married or if you are single, I want you to recognize that that is a gift from God. Now, I'm not going to be able to speak into every single one of your situations. I'm not saying and declaring that your marriage is great. I'm not ignoring that many of you are single because you've lost a loved one. You're a widow or widower. Some of you have gone through a hard divorce. Some of you desire to be married. You long for it and you're not. I'm not saying it's emotionally easy. But what I'm saying is your singleness or your marriage is a gift from God that God has given to you. Which means it is to be used for the glory of God. You are never a lost cause because you are single or divorced or widowed. Paul makes it clear that being single is a gift from God. In today's society, sometimes singleness or a lack of romantic relationships or a lack of sexual activity may scream an emergency to the culture. But Paul calls it a gift from God. God is even sovereign over our relationships and our singleness. And the word gift here in verse uh, 7 is the same word that's used in a couple chapters from now, chapter 12 where Paul is going to talk about spiritual gifts, right? If you've been in church for a while, maybe you've uh, learned what your spiritual gift is. It's teaching or it's leading or it's mercy or administration. These kind of spiritual abilities and callings that God has given uniquely to all of you. The same word for spiritual gift there, the word gift, is also here in chapter 7 for singleness and for marriage. Which means God has given you this calling for right now. And you are going to be enabled by him and his grace to use it for the glory of God. We often don't think about our singleness or our marriage as a gift for God's glory. We just think of it as a given. Like, I deserve this, or this is mine, it's my situation right now. No, think about it as, how can I use this for the glory of God because it's from him? So this means, firstly, for, for all of the church to hear that all persons, single or married, are valuable. Each is a gift from God, So we should never look down on someone whom God has gifted with singleness. And again, I mentioned this in my introduction, but the church sometimes treats single Christians as minor league Christians. And that attitude and that spirit goes completely against this verse. I mean, look at probably the two most influential men in Christian history. Paul, he was single. Paul's a pretty good guy. He did a lot of things. Wrote most of the New Testament. Oh, and then there's the other guy. Yeah, his name's Jesus, for the record. He's kind of a big deal, too. So to be practical, if you see a single person in our church, especially, especially if he or she's in their 20s, do not say to them, let's go find you a wife or a husband. If they want to be married, that's a wonderful desire. It's great to have the desires and the longing for marriage, but no one is guaranteed that those longings and desires will come true. Only God knows. God's in charge. 
To have a desire is good, but we are not here primarily to get young people married to each other. That happens great. And also, don't just, for, as a parent, don't be those people who ask kids if they're 5 or 7 or 17, hey, do you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend? Don't do that. Right? That teaches them that dating and romance and marriage is what they should be worried about. My kid can't even tie his shoes yet, you know? Like, why are we talking about dating? And there are people here whom the Lord has given the gift of singleness to, and they recognize it, and they, in their contentment and their joy, say, this is my calling. And to treat them like they are lacking in life because they're not married is to downplay God's calling on their life. Like marriage, singleness is a gift. They're equal gifts. So when God gives gifts to his people, he's given them to the person for their own good and for God's glory. They're gifts to be stewarded and used well. So if you are single right now, whether it's for a temporary time, maybe the Lord's going to bring you a spouse. Maybe you're a widow or a widower. Maybe you're going to be single your entire life. I'm not sure. But we don't want to waste the gifts of the Lord. We'll get there in chapter 12, right? We all have gifted things spiritually for this church. Let's not waste those either, but let's look at singleness now because your singleness is not primarily yours. It's the Lord's. He's called you to be single. So what does it look like to live with this good gift of singleness? I want to give you a couple answers here. What does it look like to live with this good gift of singleness? First of all, we see from our text we are called to live with self-control. If you're single, you're called to live with self-control in a unique way. Do you see in verse 9 that Paul says that if someone is single and cannot exercise their self-control, then they should marry. This implies that if you are single, you are uniquely called to be self-controlled in a specific area, and that area is sexuality. Now, Paul is not saying here that if you are struggling with lust all the time, that the answer and remedy is marriage. Because marriage does not solve lust or sin. Right? Marriage can be a good, healthy outlet for good sexual desires. But if Paul was here and you came up to Paul and says, Paul, I'm lusting a lot. I'm looking at pornography every day. He's not going to tell you, go get married. He's going to say, go kill your sin. Because if you got married, you would be unfaithful to your wife. So with that nuance set to the side here, okay. Paul is stating that those who are single are those whom God has called to have self-control in regards to sexuality. A Christian who is not married is called to deny sexual activity. Yes, even if you are dating, and yes, even if you are engaged to be married, sex is reserved for husbands and wives. Paul says self-control of sexuality is a marker of a single Christian. A faithful single Christian pursues sexual purity as married people are, but in particular by not sleeping with someone who's not their wife, not living with someone, not advancing across a line of unholiness. So the calling of a single person is celibacy. And it's going to be that calling unless God brings you a spouse. And that celibacy remains there up to the moment that you say, I do. Now, all Christians are called to have self-control. This is, you know, fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. A Christian is one who has the Holy Spirit in them, conforming them to the image of Jesus. And one of those characteristics of Jesus is self-control. The ability to govern yourself and to restrain yourself. All humans... 
are created and all humans to some degree have sexual desires. This is not wrong. Adam and Eve before sin came into the world had sexual desires. It's not like you get married and all of a sudden you have sexual desires. A single person may desire sex and that can be okay and healthy. It's what you do with that desire. Do you feed it to the point of lust and sin or do you exercise self-control and as a non-married person not feed the sexual desire to lust and unfaithful action? So think about this. Paul is declaring that single Christians are uniquely mature in the faith because they're restraining themselves from sexual activity for the sake of God's glory. Married people, as Paul said in the passage last week, can have sex with their spouses, but single people are asked to steward their gift of singleness with self-control and celibacy to restrain for the glory of God, which goes against our culture. We don't often restrain anything. So Paul is positively saying here, while single people are uniquely mature and faithful to God when they have self-control. So God is honored and pleased with you if you are not married and you are walking with self-control in this area. God is glorified in you. But think about our world right now. Sexuality has become an idol. It's become idolatry. What is an idol? What's idolatry? It's when something that is created becomes the thing you bow down to. Right, sex was created. Sex is a creation of God to exist in a certain design with certain boundaries and rules for goodness. But now sex has become so attached to individuals and identity. Right, Sex, a created thing, has become the thing to worship. It's so attached to my identity and my personhood that to restrain or the idea of saying I'm not going to have sex would be mind-blowing to most people in the, in the world. Right? Marriage might be on the decline, but sexual activity is on the rise. The hookup culture is on the rise. Pornography is on the rise. And this is so skewed from the biblical model. So when a single Christian lives out a life of celibacy, of purity, of self-control, I believe they are to be admired. Our world's going the opposite direction, but for Christ and his word, they are living as faithful Christians for God's glory. So for those of you who are single, especially even those of you who are married, how can you have more self-control in this area, right? Fight sin, resist temptation, be practical, put filters on your computer, continue to resist the temptation. And don't think that sex or dating or romance is necessary for your identity. God calls your singleness as a good gift, so will you even trust him with your celibacy? And I, and I want to make this clear that like, you don't walk out of here fearful to ever go on a date now. Right? Just because you're single and we're preaching on this doesn't mean you can't date. Because if anyone in here is married, that means they have dated before. Right? They've sought out marriage and seeking out dating and marriage rightly and purely is a good thing. But don't make that your identity. Second thing that um, living with this good gift of singleness looks like is living with undivided attention. This is not in our text. It's later on in chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 35, Paul talks about the spiritual advantage of being single. 
He says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. A single person can have undivided devotion to the Lord. We're going to look at this in a couple weeks again, but Paul mentions that when you're married, not only do you have to worry about yourself and your relationship to God, but you have a whole other person to worry about. But the single person can have an undivided devotion or attention to the Lord. In marriage, two people covenant together before God. They become one flesh. So essentially what one person does, the other person's involved with too. But in singleness, it's you and the Lord. You can have undivided attention in a way that a married person cannot have. We see this in the life of Paul. He has time and energy and money to do what he wants for the kingdom of God. He doesn't have to worry about is he stewarding and taking care of his spouse. He could travel and leave and stay and do what he desires for the Lord. So one of the ways to steward your singleness is to live with undivided attention to the Lord. Right? Your schedule is your own. Your home is your own. How can you use all that you have to pursue the Lord? How can your attention be on God? Some of you are desiring to be married or, or you're a widow and you're, and you're going home and it's lonely or depressing sometimes to walk in your door and think, I'm here alone and I get that. And there's no quick remedy to that. But can you ever go home and think, God, how can I pursue you here without any distraction? Your Bible reading can be at your time. Your singing out of your worship songs is not going to wake anyone. Your calendar and your schedule only has to be cleared by you. Who can you host at your house? Who can you serve? Who can you disciple? How can you use your time and your energy and your resources and your emotions for a way for Jesus in a way that others can't as freely? I think Paul's going to get to this later in chapter seven, but take advantage of your gift and your relationship freedom for the glory of God. Third and finally here, what does it look like to live with this gift of singleness? It looks like to live in community with others. So in singleness, there's obviously a self-control regarding physical intimacy and activity. But there should not be any restrictions on friendship or community. A local church just like this, CVBC, should be a place of intimacy, friendship, and community. Single Christians are not lonely people. Why? Because single Christians don't need marriage not to be lonely. They have a church. And it's the same with you married people. You have a church. There doesn't have to be loneliness. Paul is writing this letter of 1 Corinthians to a group of real people. A church, the church of Corinth, of all backgrounds and economic statuses, of relationships. And people will say in a few chapters from now that each member exists to build up one another. As in CVBC, this is the place that God wants it to be because each one of you in your own distinctions are here. Single and married, without both, without each individual, we are not the body of Christ that God wants us to be. So have you ever thought that your marriage and your singleness is also for your whole church? 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God doesn't choose poorly. 
God chose each one of you to belong to the body. As he says in chapter 12, each physical body needs things like ears and eyes and hands. Right? A body cannot touch without a hand. A body cannot see without an eye. In the same way, our church cannot be the full body conforming to the image of Jesus unless you are in community with us because we need you. If you are single, we need you. We need your biblical insight, your example, your maturity, your wisdom, your self-control, your spiritual gifts. And also church, especially for those of you who are married. If God is asking a single friend here to have self-control regarding physical intimacy, are you providing enough spiritual intimacy and friendship intimacy with them in the church? If we're asking people who are not married to not pursue physical intimacy, are we providing at all as a church a great alternative? Our church should be a place of such belonging that the sacrifice of sexual purity is a joyful one. I want you to think about Paul. Paul was a single man. He had planted churches. He traveled all the time. He was unique. But do you know what stands out to me about Paul is... He could have had all this apostolic fame and prestige and sat up, you know, kind of up on a throne and said, I'm just going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to stay up here and not get dirty. Do you know what he did? What Paul did was he got so personal, had such good friends. For example, he gave all of himself spiritually to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a younger man and Paul became his spiritual father. Paul did not have any biological children. Paul was not um, a married but he was a spiritual father. What about you? Can you be a spiritual father and mother in this church? You don't have to be married. You don't have to be a biological parent to have children in this church. Who are you pouring into? Right? Single men, single women, who are you raising up? Especially you older saints. Whether you've been single your whole life or you are a widow or widower, who are your spiritual children here in this church? Right, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, the men's Monday night gathering once a month. Those are not just for young people to hang out. Those are for all men, all women to come and invest in one another and help each other raise up in the faith. Right? When you choose maybe not to invest in a demographic, because, hey, that's for young people. I'm old. I don't fit in. What you are doing is you are not allowing them to have your wisdom and your love and your care and vice versa. We want this to be a place with mixed ages because we have so much to learn from one another. right? So don't hold back because you don't think you fit in age-wise. Older saints, the young people here are dying for your friendship. I'm telling you, they're dying for it. Also, for you younger single people, have you attached yourself to an older saint in this church, whether they're married or not? Have you pursued one of them and said, I have so much to learn. Will you disciple me? I love what's going on in the women's ministry right now with the mentoring program. It's just this, it's spiritual mothering. But men, women, even if you're not in an official program, do you have someone here that you can learn from who has experience and knows the Bible and can love you well? Get in community. And the other thing that stands out to me about Paul is, you know, Paul planted all these churches. He traveled from place to place. But if you read through the book of Acts, you're going to realize that though Paul was transient in a way, Paul had such deep community. In Acts chapter 20, he's leaving Ephesus. 
And as he's leaving Ephesus, the city there, the believers are on their knees weeping when he leaves. He was in such a friendly, vibrant community with them, though he was single and though he moved around a lot. So singleness does not mean you are lonely or have no community. A local church should offer the friendship and the love and the care that is needed. So I pray, church, that we are not limiting our friendships to those who are just like us in our stage of life. But invite people of all ages to coffee or to over to your house for dinner, if they're single or married, whatever it is. This is why kind of our church doesn't separate our ministries into we have a single ministry, we have a young married, we have an old married, because all that does is create silos where we don't learn from each other. Yeah, we do have a class like marriage going on right now for four weeks. Why? Because as we see later, marriage is sometimes harder spiritually than singleness. A little more moving parts to add in. But one's relationship status does not determine one's worth or value or belonging in this church. Married people and single people need the same primary things. They need the Bible. They need prayer. They need friendship. So I pray that this church can do that well. So if you're single, I pray that those three things you will look at biblically and apply. So singleness is a gift. Let's look at the last point. Singleness is a picture of the gospel. The Bible clearly lays out, especially in Ephesians, that marriage is a picture of the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, marriage is portrayed as a human relationship that expresses the tangible love of God to us. Right? In a marriage, people covenant together. They're intimate and personal and loving. They vow publicly to always be together. Marriage is essentially one picture that shows how God feels about his people. God has married himself to the church. He's covenanted. He's intimate with us. And he's vowed to always be ours. Marriage is one picture of the gospel. Unfortunately, people have forgotten that marriage is not the end-all, be-all only picture of the gospel. Right? Marriage will not solve all of your problems, nor will marriage fulfill you. Um, if you do marriage counseling here at CVBC, it may not start off so positive because one of the first things we say is marriage is not going to make you happier by itself. Marriage will not fulfill you. It won't. Because it's an appetizer to the bigger thing. And what's the bigger thing is Jesus. Right? Jerry Maguire got it wrong when he said, you complete me. Now it's sweet and it's romantic. And I get what he's saying, but marriage will not complete you. Why? Not because it's bad, but because marriage was never intended to complete you. Jesus was. So in the same way, singleness is a picture. It's a tool. It's a foreshadowing. It's an appetizer to the main feast of the gospel of Jesus. Right? So singleness and marriage are kind of like puzzle pieces. Right? Each piece has its own different color, and it highlights something else of the bigger picture. But each puzzle piece is not the full puzzle. But if you get all these pieces together, then you get a clear picture of how God loves us in Jesus. So marriage is just one piece. Singleness is just one piece. And they all kind of highlight a different truth of how Jesus feels about us and how we are to respond to Jesus. So if marriage shows us covenant and intimacy, what does singleness teach us about Jesus? What does singleness teach us about the Christian life? It teaches us that Jesus is sufficient. 
Right? Marriage at times is a full reliance on someone. It's at its core two people living together in this world. Singleness, however, reveals sufficiency. Christian singleness proclaims all I need is Jesus in the big moments and in the small moments. That I am content alone in Christ. When we all get to heaven, uh, not to be a bummer, but when we get to heaven, do you know what's not going to be there? Marriage with other humans. The only marriage that will be in heaven is the marriage between the church and Jesus. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells the religious leaders that they will not be marrying in heaven, which means that marriage must not be the ultimate thing. So when someone is called to singleness, they are proclaiming that their future heavenly identity is satisfactory enough for them on earth. That Jesus alone is sufficient and they are willing to live out their identity of only needing Jesus until they arrive in heaven. Right? So singleness is tapping into the end times. Right? The eschatological identity of the saints, who you're going to be in the end. So you will be in heaven so satisfied, so sufficient in Jesus that you're not going to need to be married to your spouse. So single people are bringing the future to the present by proclaiming just how in eternity here on earth all I need is Christ for my needs. And in a world that bows down to romance and sex, the single Christian proclaims Jesus is the richest treasure you could ever possess. Friends, I want you to hear one last passage today. And whether you are married or single, engaged or dating, widowed or widowed, whether you are a child who's even too young to consider dating and romance, I want you to think of one more passage. It's Revelation 21. The one thing we need to consider is, is Jesus sufficient for us? Not Jesus and my marriage. Not Jesus and my work or Jesus and my health. As long as I have Jesus and my dreams and Jesus and this, then I'll be fine. No, no, no. Is it Jesus and Jesus alone? Listen to the end of the Bible here in Revelation 21, verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Friends, this is the future for you. If you are a Christian, this is your future. One day... Everything we've held dear to us, our dreams, our aspirations, our work, our money, our marriages, and our relationships, all the things that we hold dear to us to make sure we have our identity secure will be gone. The only possession that we will have that will form our identity and bring us joy is Jesus. The groom Jesus will come for his bride, the church, and he will be with us and we will be with him. And we will need nothing else because in him we will have everything we could ever hope or dream. Christ came to our world 2,000 years ago 
our world full of idolatry, of us trying to find our identity in things that God created, like relationships, like sex. And he came and he lived perfectly, having self-control, restraining himself from idolatry. And he died on a cross. He said to the God, the Father, punish me in their place so that they don't have to endure your wrath. And Jesus took our sin, our earthly pursuits, us trying to find identity in other things. And he took it on himself and he loved his bride so much that he died for his bride. And he resurrected out of that tomb so that one day we can live as his bride for all of eternity, that we don't have to be slayed with our identities and our idols, but we can be alone in heaven dwelling with God. So friends, whether you are single or married, there is a marriage ceremony coming. We will be with God and he will be with us. And that truth alone should encourage you more than anything else in the world. You should find that as the most sufficient and satisfying truth that you are going to have Jesus for all of eternity. And maybe if we're honest and we are not encouraged by that, then maybe that means there's something in our lives that we are relying upon right now for our satisfaction outside of Jesus. Maybe that reveals there's an idol, there's idolatry. I think of the Old Testament story where Moses is up on the mountain talking with God, right, face to face, receiving revelation from God. And yet there they are, the Israelites, just down the mountain, bowing down to a golden calf. There is God, and yet here they are just a little bit away, bowing down. Let's not turn to the created things and turn them into the main thing, because one day, the main thing, Jesus is going to come for us, his bride, and let him find us wholeheartedly pursuing him. So sufficiency in Jesus means that everything else you have worked for or received can be taken from you and you still find joy in Jesus. If you lost your spouse, if you lost your kids, your, your house, your health, your job, your everything, can you still proclaim, I still have Jesus? Will you grieve and be sad? Yes, you should. But are you so content in Christ alone? And that means there are no golden calves for you because why would we settle for anything less than Christ? That's the point of singleness. That's what we all, whether you're single or married, are to learn from. This teacher, singleness, teaches us that Jesus is all we need. And the cross proves that. On the cross, the wrath of God is satisfied and in him we can be saved. So I pray right now for someone, some of you in here. You might need today to come to Jesus and receive his invitation to a life with him where he's going to dwell with you in all joy and peace, where you can leave your sin and come to the all-sufficient Jesus, right? Everything we worship right now with our time and our dreams, it will not make us happy eternally. So why pour our soul into it now? We can turn to the one who satisfies and has forgiven our sins, and that is Jesus. Bow your knee to Jesus. But for all of us in here, be reminded that whatever aspiration or desire you have, whether it be maybe to be married, but you aren't, maybe you want that promotion, but you haven't got it, maybe your marriage is failing and you feel at a loss, guess what? Jesus is sufficient. He is the point and he is what your eternity consists of. 
one of the greatest hymns of all time, highlights the sufficiency of Jesus. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to return and come quickly that we may join you at the wedding supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will have you without distraction, without sin, without anything blinding our eyes to your beauty. Jesus, we ask you to come quickly that we may experience this gospel in its full picture. Until that day, we ask that you will hold us dear and that we will trust in you that you alone can satisfy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.